I want to remind you that you are a powerful being, filled with power. You are an eternal being, having a temporary experience, having an earthly experience. Hello, and welcome to Power Hour. I am so excited that you have decided to join this podcast. This is a place for you to come when it is time for you to remember who you are at the very core of you. There is a power that has brought you to this point. There's a power inside of you that knows your deepest desires and your grandest plans and dreams. And sometimes we just lose sight of that as we are in the world connecting with all the people around around us and vying for the personality and the person, the persona that we've created, just trying to figure out how we fit into this world. But there is a power inside of you that needs no introduction, that needs no uh, competition, that needs no explanation, that knows all things, is a well of wisdom and love. And boy, don't we need that today with everything that's going on in the world. So just remember to always come back to Power Hour when you need to uh, tap into your greater self into the power within you. And so today's guest, uh, she is not a new guest for us. She is, she spoke to us on our previous podcast is Dr. Vo. She's a psychotherapist and life coach and consultant here in Houston, Texas. Uh, just an amazing woman with an amazing story. So she, di- she doesn't just show up here to share her professional experience, but she has so much uh, of life experience that qualifies her to speak to us on our topic today. Basically, we want to just talk about how um, how this whole race <laughs> race war that I feel like we're in, all these uh, racial this racial tension that we're going through, how it is affecting us psychologically. And so, there is no greater person that I know to talk about this topic than Dr. Vo. Thank you, Dr. Vo, and welcome to the Power Hour podcast. Good morning, my lovely. Thank you, Dr. Kresslin, for having me back again. It is such an honor to be speaking in such a riveting uh, topic that is uh, currently left the country in peril in the midst of the pandemic. We are facing with another virus that has been laying in dormant that threatens the bedrocks of our constitution and our liberty. Okay. So with the outbreak on over the world, we are now collectively uh, coming down on the street and uh, spreading the message of love, the message of hope, the message of pain in this uh, deepest unfortunate situation for Mr. George Floyd and his family. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and George Floyd is just one name of many. I read somewhere that uh, police shootings or police murders is the sixth leading cause of death for African-American males. And so, you know, when when you look at it um, from high up, I don't know what that number looks like. I don't know if it's one in a hundred thousand, one in a million. I don't know. But I know this. I know that when we talk about the leading cause of deaths, um, there are certain things that we can prevent. Like if if the number one cause of death is heart attack, unless it's something that is uh, deeply genetic, uh, those are some things that we can control by our diet and exercise and things like that. But when you think about police murders, that is, is so random and there's nothing that you can do to prevent it. So I can only imagine the state of fear that African-Americans are in. I know I, I have eight that are in my inner circle. When I think about my husband, my children, my grandchildren, um, I have just a, a small circle around me who I am concerned for for every day, but my fear and concern cannot vibrate at the magnitude in which theirs do, I'm sure. So can you just um, enlighten us about some of the psychological um, uh, issues that African-American males could be facing right now to give us a greater understanding? I'm humbling myself uh, and uh, in seeing you uh, as an expert 
as well. Uh, so please, you know, don't be modest and please uh, educate me as well in this regard. Now, you and I, as well as I don't know anybody is exempt in America, including uh, the white uh, people, are not concerned and not afraid of our own skin color that may mm -hmm. somebody off on the street, you know, at work, at the grocery store, okay? So let's face this, from the very beginning of time, human um, abuse of power, police brutality, has always existed and infiltrated all of social engines from the time of Jesus Christ. Okay, Jesus Christ was a victim himself of government brutality, of abusing of power, and of indignify and stripping off on of human rights as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so when you are talking about uh, black male alone, okay, in my work, my, my internship was at Huntsville uh, Prison. So we know statistically one out of three black males is arrested and be imprisoned. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, there is only one out of 10 white males would be arrested. Mm -hmm and institutionalized, okay? Mm -hmm. More than double the amount of uh, black women being arrested and imprisoned than white women, okay? Mm -hmm. And up to 52% that more than half of children that are institutionalized are black children, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you look at all of these incredible statistics, one of the statistics that kind of really concerned me is that for a white young man who being released on parole or you know from uh, the institution will get job interviewed and job hiring uh, more than the rate of a black male. Okay, and then we also look at uh, from a, from uh, the uh, social spectrum up to half of the uh, young men that been arrested in, in the institution had children under the age of 18. Now half, mm. okay, had children under the age of 18, okay? So if you want to close an eyes on it, you won't see any of this injustice going on, okay? And it's very easy for people to attribute it to personal weakness, to inferiority complex. Mm -hmm. We're going to get deep into this. Where does this victim consciousness come in? And how does society play a role in the downloading of the victim consciousness on the minority people, Black, mm -hmm. Hispanic, Asian alike? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I'm reminded of the fundamental attribution uh, era. And the fundamental attribution era says that when something good happens to you, it's because of luck. And when something bad happens to you, it's because of character. But when something good happens to me, it's because of character. And when something bad happens to me, it's because of luck or bad luck or circumstances. And, and what that says to me is that the, the greatest divide in this country, in the, in the world probably, is our inability to see another person as ourselves and to share the same grace um, with others or the same benefit of the doubt for others that we give ourselves. And so perhaps that's part of why, uh, you know, that type of era, that type of era in thinking is what keeps people from uh, seeing another person as themselves. And then when you add another layer like skin color, <laughs> it makes it even more difficult for, um, for people to, to see 
for a white man to see a black man and and understanding and so we're not going to have that kind of understanding until I, I believe until people are willing to give others the same benefit of the doubt that they desire and you you shared the statistics as well and so the the most alarming part of the statistics is not only um, are the African Americans um, um, institutionalized more often, but they also make up the smallest number, uh, the smallest percentage. So we're so let's go back to those numbers. One out of three African American males are arrested. One in ten Caucasian are arrested. But black people only make up about thirteen percent of the population in the U.S. When you look at that, that gap, the disparity is so overwhelming. It is so overwhelming. Absolutely. Okay. So if we look at the root cause of racism and how did it come about in our human consciousness, we have to look at the individual xenophobia and we have to look at institutional prejudice and make bias, okay? So on an individual level, we have individual bias toward racist and preconceived ideation toward certain uh, genes and, and, uh, and uh, cultures, okay? But then we also have to look at globally as a whole society, uh, how does all of this become a collective um, enemy of the public, okay, is the virus that we nourished and we hide behind shells and behind walls, okay. So, so how did individual xenophobia comes about? Now, we have to understand that uh, as babies come into the world, you know, you put a black baby by a white baby and an Asian babies, they're not going to have any protest and they're all going to embrace each other. Mm -hmm. In fact, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was not aware of anything differences when he was playing with other children until the white children told him one day that, well, uh, our parents are not allowed for us to play with you anymore because we have to go to a different school now. So that is, you know, he grew up in privilege, um, you know, in upper middle class with uh, college educated parents uh, with a mm -hmm. in his family uh, genetic. Um, so he was not aware of how divided the country saw until his peers uh, told him from their parents' perspectives, okay? Mm -hmm. So suddenly the downloading start working for all of us from a very young age, okay? So, you know, 1967, the psychologist, Dr. Martin Settlement, uh, the renowned uh, psychologist in America for his uh, research on learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that time in history, 1967, it is echoing with the 1965 Civil Rights Act abolishing Jim Crow. Uh, and then 1968 is the Fair Housing Act that uh, completely removed discrimination from zoning housing uh, in, in the country. And then of course, 1968 is the historic uh, assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. So 1967 is a pivot in years in history of psychology when Dr. Settlement discovered what is called learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. So when he was experimenting with dogs, uh, he had three groups of dogs. One is the control group that basically they were just caged and they were just released, okay? They were not mistreated, they were being treated normally. And then the second group of dogs, you know, he would periodically shock them, electrically shock them. But they have the ability to stop the shock. They just push a lever and they stop the shock. And the third group of dogs, he 
uh, periodically shock them, but they they can't escape. They just keep running around, screaming, mm-hmm. um, but there's no way for them to to stop. Now, of course, this kind of experiment is not no longer legalized uh, in mm-hmm. our uh, but at that time, it taught us uh, what happened to our uh, uh, consciousness is that the dogs, after they've been shocked for a while and they had no control over it, they just lay down and ready to die. Even when the case were opened, we showed them the free wall outside. All you have to do is just step outside. They they just sat there and mm-hmm. they, uh, uh, they just become uh, uh, training of energy and then uh, ready, to, ready to die. So the same concept when they train elephant in the circuit. Initially, they start with a baby elephant and they chain the baby elephant to a tree and they teach the baby elephant tricks, okay? And then after the baby elephant became a humongous elephant, okay, that humongous elephants could easily break the tree and break the chain and leave. Mm -hmm. Leave. Even if it was free to go, it wouldn't leave. Mm -hmm. Under the mental chain that it is powerless to its environment. And it has no choice but to, but to be imprisoned mm-hmm. by the environment. Okay, so from that help, learn helplessness, we discovered the victim consciousness, okay? Mm. So victim consciousness was a downloading program from the dominant group, okay? And a child who was born in crowded condition in an underprivileged uh, part of town that had lacks to healthcare, education, um, and uh, uh, being being zone, um, and and never see what the middle class uh, neighborhood looks like. Okay, that child will grow up and die in that neighborhood. Never thought that he or she can leave, can better mm-hmm. their lives, and can get education, can have opportunities. They're pretty much being uh, controlled by environmental factors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I know some people are gonna well, that is a personal weakness. Opportunities are on over the country and why don't you seize the opportunity to better yourself? Okay, I myself will testify to that. Okay, now Mm -hmm. three degrees from this country. But for a long time, I live under the mentality of a bold person, of a bold people step off the boat. Mm -hmm. I feel I have the same equalities and privileges as Mm -hmm. my colleagues who was born and raised and educated here. Yeah, I, 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 I bounce back and forth on that as well. And so I actually questioned whether I had true compassion yesterday. Uh, and, and God is so amazing because as soon as I questioned that in my mind, I looked up and there was a card on my desk staring right at me saying, you are known for your compassion that a friend sent to me for Mother's Day. And so that gave me relief in my heart. But the reason I question my compassion is because there's a new level of consciousness that is, uh, that is in the world today. And the people who have, uh, my people who have been in victimization for so long, it's hard for them to rise to that level of consciousness. So I some kind of way grabbed it very early in my life and did the works, felt like if I work hard, um, this doesn't have to be my reality. And I put one foot Mm -hmm. in front of the other and I did things that were not common to people in my community. And so 
I too sometimes think, okay, why are we being victims here? And so, and it's not that I've completely lost sight of the struggle prior to this level of consciousness. I just think it's my desire, my passion to help people open their eyes and see that there's a better world. Hence, this is why we're having the podcast to remind people of the power that's within them that they can use to do anything. So I can relate to that. But I have to say this to Dr. Vo, that I, there's still like a dark cloud um, that that um, that's over me sometimes that makes me wonder um, if this reality can really continue to take me further because I've had people, uh, you know, the oppressor, the oppressor, right, that, in, that, that created the victimization that created the circumstances in which to make people victims, when you raise to a certain level of consciousness, they will kind of shrug like, who do you think you are? And will show you in a back office kind of way, like you won't get the position or no, we could not let her uh, work here because she's a highfalutin black person or she you know she feels herself no because i have the confidence that you, the confidence that you have so i can still feel the institutionalized racism even though i operate at a higher level of consciousness and i choose not to be a victim and i choose not to suffer but so i can relate to everything that you're saying there but that's why we got to do more than just address the interpersonal relate uh racism we've got to address institutional racism as well. Beautifully stated. Uh, and Dr. Kerslin, in my work uh, dealing with 90% uh, of my clients are the young generation, the millennium, okay? And a lot of people come in with addiction, with fear, with trauma, with uh, depression, anxiety. And when I pointed out to them that, well, you've been traveling on the victim pathway, uh, and there is something else that's called the victor pathway. They say, mm -hmm. what? It's a victor pathway? And these mm -hmm. are educated people. So, so you cannot say that this is some sort of personal weakness or personal attribute, okay? If all you know, if all society, family, government, has been showing you it is one option. You don't know that there's another option out there. Mm -hmm. You don't know that until you are critically injured, you are emotionally traumatized, you fell to the bottom of the earth, and then you recognize that, oh, well, I can climb back up, and mm -hmm. I can fall down, and I can be the victor, okay? Mm -hmm. So, so what happened in settlement study is that in human terminology, when a person grew up in environmental shackled uh, a state, they develop three attributes. One is a personal attribute. The personal attribute of uh, character assassination about yourself. I'm stupid. I can't do it, I'm not smart enough. Okay, so let's say if you go to school one day and you are so hungry and you, you haven't eaten anything since last dinner, uh, and yes, your father may be in jail and, and your mother is a single mom trying to work three jobs to raise you, mm -hmm. and then you show up in class, you fail the test, okay, and then somebody told you, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's an easy test. You, you must be really dumb. Okay, mm -hmm. so immediately, uh, you immediately incorporate that programming, mm -hmm. that is also downloading, that you, mm -hmm. okay, while there are all of the other factors around you that no one care, no one consider for that child, so child grow up with that personal attribute, the child can do it, okay? And then there's social attribute that reinforce the child uh, perception about, mm -hmm. okay, the social attribute going to be that, oh gee, must be your skin color, mm -hmm. neighborhood you live in. Mm -hmm. 
uh, yeah, there's nothing you can do about that. Mm -hmm. And the child learned to develop something else that's called global attribute. So global attribute is a phenomenological worldview. This world is, uh, is a vicious uh, place for me to live. There's, uh, everybody is, is against me and I cannot get to anywhere in this life. I would be beaten down by everybody. Mm -hmm. So this is how the paradigm created. Okay, the victim, the patient, the, the infantile uh, concept of cell, the developmental arrested, that the mm -hmm. person is not allowed to progress mm -hmm. the environment shackles. Mm -hmm. This right. is how the baby elephant grew up become a gigantic elephant, but still believe that they couldn't leave because they were shackled. Right. Right. That's it's it's interesting. It's when uh, my husband and I are traveling and you know we're driving and we pass these pastures and you have a gate uh that is maybe waist high to us and horses are behind it. He's like, I wonder why those horses don't know that they don't have to stay behind that gate. So they've been trained and yeah. they've been meeked. And it's it's nothing wrong with being meek because meekness is 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 having is not weakness it's strength under control, but we're humans and not horses so we should understand that we can stay within these boundaries if we want to, but if we don't want to then we can walk over to that gate and simply step over it or step out. I heard you mentioning some of the things like depression and anxiety of the people who come to you. And so we know this is a psychological distressor for people who, who are dealing with racism um, that can lead to psychological disorders and all kind of unhealthy behavior, you know, sexual behavior, um, uh, other addictive behaviors. And so um, what can we do or what would you say to people who are in psychological, people of color who are in psychological distress right now to help them kind of get that under control so that it doesn't lead to the, to the other very risky behavior? Let me tell you what the effect, the psychological effect of being discriminated, being isolated, being rejected is severely impaired. And research has shown that it changed the landscape of children's mind, the topography of the neural pathways. So it become kind of like a permanent way for children to navigate the world. And then in, in, um, in a lot of the underprivileged environment when gunshot wounds and the police brutality, killing in the backyard, children develop the PTSD and the level of cortisol, mm. which is the biological marker of trauma mm -hmm. to combat soldiers. It's similar to combat soldiers that fought in Afghanistan or Vietnam coming back to the country. That to tell you how severely traumatized children growing up can be when they're being discriminated again and they're being pushed out of institution. Now, for those people who don't understand what institutional racism means or what uh, systemic prejudice means, okay, it is the uh, profiling of people, keeping people uh, stay shackled in their marginalized existence by prevent them, by uh, disrupting their access to healthcare, to education, to advancement in society. And it's very subtle. You have to observe it to see it, okay? So as, as the COO of a hospital system, I remember an administrator's, when he came to me and he said, I need to hire so-and-so-and-so, the positions, and then I would give him a stack of qualified candidates, and he would look at it and he said, "I can pronounce this person's name. Give me another one." Mm. 
classical example of institutional racism. Mm-hmm. Pronounce the person's name. His name is not John Smith, so he's not qualified. You 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 won't even look past his education and his his credential. Okay, so so an example for me personally. Okay, um, when I wanted to pursue a professional degree, I had two children at the time. I had three now, but two children. One was in the stroller, and the other one was in my back. I carried them. I pushed them to the school campus and went to see a school academic counselor. So the counselor looked at me, looked at my uh, uh, record. I have a near flawless GPA. Okay, mm-hmm. I have maybe one C. Okay, so the school counselor looked at me and and I say I I want to see if I am qualified to go to medical school. She looked at all of my uh, record. She said, "Why did you have to see here?" So mm. at this time, I didn't know, Doctor Kresslin. I didn't know this is what an illustration of institutional racism. So I sat there, explained myself for like 15 minutes. Why did I have a C there? Okay. And she looked at me and she said, she looked at my children. She said, do you have plan B? And I say, uh, no, I, I, I only have one plan. I, I want to go to medical school. I want to become a doctor. And she said that, who's going to take care of your children? And medical school, hmm. they look at your C, and they're going to ask you to write a paragraph and explain why you get a C there. Mm-hmm. I say, yeah, but I, but I have a near perfect GPA. She said, no, you're going to kill people. Now, I remember that. It didn't dawn on me because I was a, a, I was a young kid. I didn't know what she meant. She said, you're going to kill people with a C. Okay. Now, I know that is not true. There are people mm-hmm. that go to medical, medical school with less GPAs. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So this is, but I listen to her. I believe in her. I believe I never got a chance in medical school. Mm-hmm. What is your plan B? I said, okay, well, my plan B, okay, well, how about a PhD? She said, yeah, you're probably okay with a PhD, okay? Which is now, I would never regret my PhD. I would, you know, I, I love uh, um, what I do and uh, mm-hmm. love everything about my life. I don't regret it. But this is an, an example. You know, if you're a kid, if you're a woman, if you're a minority, if you happen to have kids, your chance for education is zero. Okay. The pain, the hurt for that would never be spoken because nobody knows that's part of institutional racism. Mm-hmm. It's part of keeping qualified candidates out of medical school. Mm-hmm. Be in the back of her head, there, there are too many Asian doctors already. Why do we need you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? So we know that institutional uh, racism is there to give us zero chances. So how do we overcome and how do we help other people deal with the psychological stress behind that and help them overcome? I, you know, when you do something like, for instance, you or myself, you know, we it was a, some kind of internal drive in us that wouldn't let us quit. But because we actually did it, it's sometimes hard to explain to other people how they can do it too, because we had that just that engine that won't stop. But for people who are discouraged and who are depressed and anxious because they are being impacted by that and they, they may not have that hard drive that's in them, what would you say mm-hmm. to them? How can they... What are some things that they can do to change their thinking, change their beliefs? What are some practices that they can employ? 
Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to address that from a um, from a social perspective and also from a spiritual perspective as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. So from a social perspective, okay, these are three attitudes people have to race. One is racial dividedness. Those are people are ready to tear up any kind of social fabric and they're ready to, uh, to reinstate segregation and uh, dividedness, uh, uh, the binary opposites uh, of our society. Uh, they're bipartisan and they're, they're uh, 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 practiced uh, um, the social and institutional uh, underlying racism, okay? Uh, second group of people is called social unitedness, okay? So these are people who uphold and honor Dr. Martin Luther King legacy. Now you have to, to, to look at his legacy and to see what is going on in our world right now. Okay, what is his legacy? What is uh, uh, um, uh, Muhammad Gandhi's legacy? Mm -hmm. Peaceful protest. It's mm -hmm. also disobedience. It is showing true and love by refusing to respond to violence with violence. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. The beauty of our humanity having the entire chief of police and police officer kneel down, apologize. It brought tears to my eyes. Mm -hmm. Only coming from a communist country or anarchy or an authoritarian uh, government that you would appreciate that. In our countries, the joke is that there is all of the riots would be taken care of in two hours because police officers are gonna try a tank over you, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they go into smash your skull open before you can speak any kind of human rights. Mm -hmm. They simply removed any kind of demonstration. Okay. Only in this country that you have that beauty of freedom of speech and marching along with the police force, embrace mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. embrace that, the race a unitedness in all of us versus using this opportunity to strike again the mm -hmm. essence of what Dr. Martin Luther King uh, teach. Mm -hmm. So um, the third uh, group of, of racial category is called racial illiterate. Okay. So there's a lot of people are not aware of what's going on or they're <clears throat> they are completely social and apathetic. They say it doesn't concern me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm safe inside the house, okay, and I don't have to be mindful to any of it. As a matter of fact, I can laugh at all of those people because they're gonna get coronavirus after them. Okay, mm -hmm. so what? Nilu mm -hmm. Hammer, one of the very first black activists in this country, she say that. No one is free until everybody is free. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, anywhere there is injustice, mm -hmm. is everywhere mm -hmm. is injustice. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's one person that enslaved. There's one person that being mistreated our entire universe is going to be affected. So you see the beautiful worldwide march across countries united to pronounce, to declare our interbeings, to mm -hmm. support to Mr. George Floyd and his family. That is mm -hmm. the most beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Not say mm -hmm. racism does not affect you. Mm -hmm. Well, look at what happened now. All of the police force have to be on the ground. Mm -hmm. The president threatened to bring in national guards. Who's paying for all of that? We are. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So we cannot say it doesn't affect me. I mean, my swimming pool at home. Mm-hmm. By where I am. That's so true. That's so true. So what I hear you saying is that those who are impacted negatively by racism can embrace the people who are conscious now, the people who are on the other side saying, we're here with you and use this opportunity to do good and realize that we can still do anything that we want to do and still achieve great things in spite of what has come against us. Absolutely. Okay. And, and then looking at the essence of who we are. So the world human being, that is two, uh, two, uh, it's a composition of two words. Human means an humble species. Remember that. Human comes from the word humbleness, humility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Being means the spiritual aspect in us. So removing our physical barriers, we Mm -hmm. are spiritual beings. So because of that, the spirits have no color. It has no gender. It has no sexual preferences. It Mm -hmm. is eternal love, eternal peace. Okay. And it Mm -hmm. came from the infinite fields of possibility. You may choose to call it God. You may choose Mm -hmm. to call it Allah or or, or Buddha, or sky, or uh, mm-hmm. you see it. We came from the infinite field of potentialities, mm-hmm. the infinite love, omnipresent and omnipotent self. Okay, mm-hmm. so for any one of us who deny the other, you you are putting down God. You are putting down the universe. You discredit our infinity. Energy has no barriers. You cannot box it. You cannot divide it. So removing our physical barriers, we are all connected. Yes. Butterfly flaps in Asia, tornado happened in Africa. Okay. So from that spiritual perspective, People have to be awakened mm-hmm. to be magnificent of who they are. Mm-hmm. Don't think of themselves as white, black, women, men, child, adolescent. Mm-hmm. You have to be awakened mm-hmm. to who truly are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Also, perspective okay? for those that who who want a real solution and not idealistic talk alone. From the social solution, okay, I want to employ what is called old immunity. So if you heard the concept of herd immunity uh, regarding uh, uh, creating uh, uh, an effective uh, stop on track with the virus, if enough people has antibody, if enough people being immunized, then the virus will stop. You don't have to immunize 7 billion people, okay? You just have to immunize and you just have to have enough antibody in those that have already been inflicted. Um, to the, the ratio is, is 68%. 68% is a magic number. If 68% of the population get immunized and been affected, and survive the virus, the rest of us will be okay. So the concept is like this. If each one of our lives is kind of like the line at the Bowley Alley, mm-hmm. so number one is at line one, number two at line two, number three at line three, and mm-hmm. so on. So if person number one get infested by the virus, then he gives to person number two at line two, and person number two get infested and give it to the person number three at line three. Mm-hmm. And so on and so on. And we all get infested. However, if person number one get infested, but person number two is immunized, has strong antigen to fight back, then the virus mm-hmm. stops at person number one. Mm-hmm. Okay? The same concept in racism. 
Okay. A person number one have prejudice, have bias, has racial dividedness. Come to you, and you happen to be person at land two. Number two, you're going to stop right there. You yes. Increase awareness. You're going to spread Dr. Lou, Martin Luther King message. Okay? Yes. Then all of that going to stop. And it, it won't bleed in further. Yes. Okay. So the same concept of old immunity can be applied to racism immunity. Mm-hmm. That is, that was super powerful. My light, <laughs> my light, let me see if I can get some more light here. Yeah, that was super, super, super powerful. You are so right. It's, it's infectious. It is infectious. Racism, uh, just like Corona, is infectious. And I just think it's amazing that um, I, I remember the Corona. I can remember uh, when it hit and before we were, uh, you know, sent home for a few days or a few weeks. I can remember um, I was getting my nails done, my toes done. And someone said, you better get out of there. So that was racism, you know, because they were, I was like, number one, the fact that we don't know the difference between Chinese, Japanese, and Vietnamese right. mm -hmm. means that we're not culturally yeah. competent and we can't yeah. group everybody into the same category. That's what happens with black people who are dark, middle, and light skin. And so we've, we've got to make sure that we are not doing the same thing. And I, one of the things that I shared is I woke up uh, one day this week and when I looked in the mirror, I saw the hated and the hater. Mm -hmm. I saw the accused and the accuser. Mm -hmm. I saw the murdered and the murderer. I saw myself and everybody, no matter what side of the fence they stood on. I saw my, because I, when you become conscious, you, we cannot point one finger at somebody else and not evaluate that same characteristic in ourselves, be it whether I may not have physically put my foot on somebody's neck, I could have easily cut off life from somebody by the words that I spoke mm -hmm. to them. And though I may not have spat on somebody uh, and said, I hate you, if I've harbored un, um, if I've har harbored resentment and jealousy in my heart, I'm the hater as well. And mm -hmm. so it is just important for all of us, in my opinion, to mm -hmm. self-evaluate. I think it is nearly impossible to hold anybody accountable to a standard in which that you don't even live by. Mm -hmm. And so, um, on top of stopping the virus, I mean, I, I just think that, that that's big. If the person next to you is infected, choose not to be infected. Wonderful. It's very powerful. And I think that comes Wonderful. from taking responsibility for our own actions, feelings, beliefs, and the things that have hindered us in the past. That's the way we're able to do it and show empathy for other people. Self-education, okay, and then spread the wealth. Okay, stop the hate. That everything starts with you. Okay. Yes. We are a powerful agent. We can change our lives. We can rise above the occasion. Mm -hmm. What muddy pond of water you were born into, mm -hmm. lotus. you can rise above that. Right. Refuse right. to accept the victim consciousness. All you have to do Okay, and I love another thing that Dr. Martin Luther King said. He said that he, you cannot fight darkness with darkness. You have to turn on the light, as simple as mm -hmm. You cannot fight victimization with a victim consciousness. 
for you to go out there looting or vandalizing or spreading the message of hate. You perpetuate the social indebtedness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You hurt your pain. I hurt. But pouring it down for our children to see this is okay. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. I can take it out on everyone else. Okay. Then, then, then it is antithetical. Is it countered intuitive to the loving message, the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That is powerful. That is an amazing stopping point. That's an amazing stopping point. I honor you, Dr. Vaughn. You are so uh, sincere. I mean, you're educated, obviously, uh, and professional, but you are so sincere and you truly operate from a place of love. And definitely what the world needs now is love, sweet love. We need so much of it. And I just go back to one thing that you said. It comes from being humble and uh, uh, the human being. Human comes from being humble, correction. And then being is our spiritual being. And with that said, everybody, thank you so much for joining Power Hour. We are human beings. We are humble spirits. All powerful, all knowing, because the spirit, that spirit that's in us is, is omnipresent and omnipotent, is all powerful and all knowing. And so when, after you get caught up in the news and social media and, um, and all the things that are going on in the world and you need a place to just breathe and relax in your being, make sure to tune back in to Power Hour. We are so glad that you're here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Kathleen. Thank you. Thank you.